Hey, everybody, welcome to our first Reviewing the News episode of 2024, where we are practicing the adage, better late than never. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth. My co-host is Cody Townsend, and you can check out all the very many things that we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And folks, our next episode of Reviewing the News is actually going to be happening live at our upcoming Blister Summit. That is February 4th through the 8th. And Cody and I talk a little bit about it in this episode. But if you would like to be present at the live taping, where I am asking you now, please cheer for me and boo Cody. More on that in a minute. Well, come to our Blister Summit. Cody is going to be there. His wife, Elise, is going to be there. Hoji, Angel Collinson, oh, and Caroline Gleick, who we mentioned in this episode, who has just announced that she will be running for U.S. Senator. She will be there and many, many others. This is shaping up to be a remarkable Blister Summit. We will include a link to it in the show notes of this episode, but we would love to see as many of you there as possible. It's going to be one very good time, and send us the topics or questions that you would like Cody and me to discuss at that Reviewing the News episode, and I don't know, maybe we'll even do some live Mountain Town advice questions. I wonder if people would want to actually share their questions in real time during this thing, or if they'd rather kind of submit them in advance anonymously. I guess we'll find out. But um, it's all on the table, but um, it would be really fun to see a bunch of you there, especially those of you who are coming to Boo Cody. Thanks in advance. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by the Moment Factory Store. Located in Reno, Nevada, this is our blister-recommended shop in the Reno area, and it's where you can shop a curated selection of ski boots, avalanche equipment, and ski accessories. But what really sets the Moment Factory Store apart is its impressive boot fitting department. Their lead boot fitter, Fossa, takes a big mountain free ride approach to boot fitting. And if you want to hear more about that, check out Kara Williard's conversations with Fossa over on our Gear 30 podcast. That would be episodes 221 and 267. From custom insoles to boot customization and the whole range of adjustments, FASA will be sure to get you dialed in, so schedule an appointment first and go. Plus, and this is very cool, a visit to the Moment Factory store means that you get to see a ski factory in action. You can get a tour of the factory and see how their skis are crafted right there. So you'll be able to check out Moment's entire ski lineup, hop on some Moment skis as part of their complimentary demo program, get your skis serviced, and yes, they will tune your skis even if they are not Moment's own skis, and you can just go hang out with the Moment staff, which I have done, and it's always fun. Oh, side note. You can also come to the Blister Summit and hang out with Moment CEO Luke Jacobson and his right-hand man, Tyler Curl. They're both going to be at the summit, and we are excited to see them both. So anyway, schedule a boot-fitting appointment at the Moment Factory Store or stop by the next time you are around Reno. 
and tell them we sent you. Finally, this episode is also presented by Open Snow. And folks, if you haven't done so already, first of all, what what are you even doing? But if you haven't, head over to opensnow.com slash blister to test drive Open Snow's best features with a free full access trial that runs through January 31st, 2024. So you have one more week, you slackers who haven't already taken advantage of this. I mean, we love you, but you seriously are slackers. Um, anyway, go to opensnow.com slash blister. We will include a link to that in the show notes of this episode. But seriously, if you haven't already, get on now while this free full access trial is in play. And you'll find out why our whole Blister team, and actually Cody himself, trusts Open Snow. All right, folks, let's do this. We're back with reviewing the news, and I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Well, I was starting to think this day would never come, but Cody, we're back to review the news. Technically, we're supposed to be reviewing the news of December, but we're recording this on January 23rd. So I think it's kind of the news of December slash most of January. And maybe a little bit of 2023 mixed in there as yeah. well. Yeah. All right. Well, but, you know, it's generally my fault. Yes. And this one is definitely my fault that we haven't reviewed. I was up in Alaska for the holidays, um, visiting my wife's family, um, going up there for our first time with the holidays with our son. And uh, the snow happened to be amazing. We thought we were going to be back earlier than we ended up being. We extended our trip because the snow was so good. I didn't have any of my recording stuff, no daycare, not much time. Snow was really good. So kind of kind of got roped into that. But now I'm back home in Tahoe and the snow sucks. So I have plenty of time to record. You heard it here first, people. I, I I just have been getting more and more DMs and emails. Uh, and the last one just succinctly said, review the damn news already, would you? And I was like, eh, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. We, we deserve okay. that. That's we we deserve that. So, well, yep. I'm glad we're back. I'm glad we're reunited. We have survived 2023. We're well into 2024 already been pretty busy i think it's safe to say for both of us i don't know any any other thoughts reflections on the end of the year end of 2023 start of 2024 i don't know i mean i've been feeling this like sea change in our industries um in a lot of different ways and maybe it's just a personal reflection things that i'm noticing within the athlete industry the marketing industry the outdoor industry in general um, the ski industry, it just feels like there's a lot of things in change right now. And it makes sense. I mean, we had COVID and then we had the explosion in the outdoor industry after that. And then just the reckoning that's coming. And, you know, this reckoning has been a shrinking of the outdoor industry quite quickly. And everyone now trying to figure out what to do. Um, as an athlete, I notice in our own business, there's been a lot of shifts. We might get into a topic about that. Um, a little later on, but um, I don't know. It just feels like things are changing right now. And again, this might just be my POV, but uh, it feels like changes in the air. Well, yeah, and we are going to talk a bit about business models when it comes to sort of ski area operations, as well as kind of some recent news in media that is, I think, relevant to our topics here. Um, 
one thing I've been thinking about is you and I are recording on the 23rd. Uh, so this will should come out on Wednesday, the 24th. Blister turns 13 years old on the 25th. And um, I, maybe it's just we're super busy with preparations on the summit and that kind of thing. But I sort of have said before, like, I can't really remember life before Blister. In some ways, it still very much feels new. And I think that's because we keep, you know, doing new things. And yet it also feels like we've been doing this forever. And I don't know. I So I have no clear thoughts on what this means. I've just been thinking about the fact that uh, 13 years. Yeah, you're a teenager. <laughs> you're getting into your like rebellious phase and you think you know everything. and But you actually know nothing. <laughs> you think you have it all figured out, but, you know. The reckoning is coming is like essentially I, where you're at right now. I like that. I like that we're entering our very rebellious years. That that feels all right. Um, it it kind of feels like we started that way. It feels like we kind of still are that way, though. So, yeah, I and mean, we'll get into the, some of this media stuff and business models in general and what is doing well and what isn't. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it is an achievement. You guys are 13 now. On the 25th. Yeah. So, congrats to that. Yeah. yeah. And see if you can keep pushing through. Keep pushing through. Get to your 20s. Get to 21. Get to 21. All right. That'll be the goal. We can drive, legally drive. By the way, one thing I want to say we are, you know, late with this reviewing the news. I just said to you before we hit the record button. So, I was like, I hope I remember how to do this. It feels really like it's been a long time. Um, but another thing, we had, we had discussed this. That um, at our upcoming Blister Summit, that you and I might do a live edition of reviewing the news. And in fact, we are going to do that. And so for those folks that will be coming out to the summit, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe think about what what news topics you want to hear us discuss at the summit, you know, and you can let us know that when you get here or send send an email to to us or to blister that's gonna be fun i can't wait for the, the crowd responses mostly hopefully me getting them to boo you somehow that's really gonna be my only goal we know that's not the case that's what you actually dream of but we know all the emails are supportive of me so <laughs> we'll get to test it we'll have one of those like audience meters those little noise meters and you know try and see who wins mm. the reviewing the news maybe Ooh. That's the whole oh, thing man. from here on out. This is a competition. Damn. Okay. This is like part of the interruption for the outdoor outdoor industry. Gotcha. Well, listen. So anyway, that's going to be fun. I, I look forward to doing doing one of these with you uh, in person. And um, But now let's get into it. And this made a lot more sense when I thought we would be recording on like January 2nd or 3rd. But it's still a good thing to discuss. I just was thinking about some of the most significant athletic achievements in the outdoor sports world in 2023. And I, I asked you to kind of, you know, nominate some choices and I want to just go through them because it was 2023 was remarkable in a number of ways. And, you know, with the achievements of a number of different individuals. So two that I wanted to bring up were Michaela Schifrin, and Courtney DeWalter. So Michaela, right, breaking the record for most World Cup wins ever by a skier. Incredible. And I feel like it was like the it was like the unbreakable it, record. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. 
that was the way that it was framed for a very long time in ski racing that Ingmar Stenmark's record was never going to be broken. And she smashed it and is continuing to add upon it. Yep. And I think in a normal year, I would have thought, well, that just wins. That's it. But I've been thinking a lot about Courtney DeWalter's triple. And that is something where, you know, Courtney won Western States. Uh, She then turned around and won Hard Rock 100 and then went and turned around and won UTMB. If if Michaela's record, if we've looked at that and thought, yeah, nobody's ever going to break that. What Courtney did, we sort of didn't really think even like think to imagine that, you know, and I believe if I remember correctly, she ran those three races. I want to be careful. I don't want to misspeak. It was an absurdly short amount of time. The turnaround on those three, I want to say it was under 11 weeks. And I think I have that correct. I believe you do, but I'm, I, it doesn't even matter necessarily the, the time gap between them because I want to add two more things to that that doesn't get talked about quite as much is that she also won the Trans Grand Canaria, which was a 128-kilometer race this summer, as well as the Bandera 100K in Texas. Um, the Bandera, I believe, was more in the spring and, and winter. Um, but the fact was, in between Western States Hard Rock and UTMB, she did the Trans Grand Canaria, so 128K race, and won that as well. So it wasn't even just the big three. And the big three... Those are kind of the ultimate, biggest, most prestigious races, the Western states, the Hard Rock and the UTMB. And what I, you know, trying to debate between Michaela breaking what is seemingly an unbreakable record and um, Courtney's, you know, doing this for the first time in history, Mm -hmm. what is seemingly impossible as well. People don't, you know, these hundred mile races are so, so hard on your body that the recovery time like can take months um and her to go within the span of you know western states and then it's like three weeks later four weeks later is doing hard rock 100 which is an inc- obviously incredibly hard race but it's got tons of climbing and tons of vert and then only is like five weeks later doing the utmb and winning that and you can see i watched the utmb mm-hmm. the last uh, last 20 k she was suffering she was breaking and you could see it was like the whole season catching up to her. But that from a physical standpoint, like broke what people believe you is physically capable. Yeah. So debating Michaela and Courtney is really tough because you're seemingly like this is breaking our understanding of endurance, what the human body can do versus an unbreakable record. Um, right now, like. I'm leaning on Courtney just because of the fact that it's like humans. It's like the yeah. four minute mile kind yeah. of breakthrough. It's like this thing that people didn't believe you could do from a physiological standpoint. Yeah. And her to do it is just on a different level. So, but it's also, it's hard because Michaela broke a record that's been around since the late seventies, early eighties. <laughs> like that's uh, it's pretty bananas, but I, Courtney, like, yeah, I, I almost just that that fact of it's like, you know, it's the this thing that we don't believe humans can do. And she mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. And 
man, as celebrated as Michaela is, I I almost feel like we're starting to take for granted the consistency, like a, a consistency we've literally never seen before. And, um, you know, so, no. you know, and not everything has to be a competition. Mostly what I wanted to do was, you know, celebrate both of them. But I think I celebrate. think you said it yeah. correctly with what you've just said. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a kind of unimaginable consistency, which is what Michaela has done. And it's so impressive. But what Courtney did was actually just unimaginable. Just like, you know, and and I would. I mean, it, to me, it starts to occupy that territory of like Alex Honnold free soloing El Cap. You know, it's like we didn't we didn't think that was in the realm of human possibility. Definitely. It's funny you say as much as we celebrate Michaela, because I feel like she should be way bigger of a star than she is. And she's a huge star. Um, I think there's a lot of failings in the way that, you know, the U.S. key team, the media deals and all the things that they've done um, in order to not celebrate her as much. I feel like she's, you know, she needs to be like front page in New York Times and she's not that often. Um, I she's like one of the most impressive athletes in the world. She didn't win an ESPY for best uh, female performance, yeah. which was pretty incredible yeah. because she was up against the typical sports stars that we all know and are on ESPN constantly. So that was really cool to see her celebrated in that platform. Um, but still, she needs to be a bigger star. And Courtney does too. But ultra running is probably even smaller of a niche than ski racing. So, well, I'm going to keep moving yeah. through some of the ones that I yeah. added to it. So some other incredible performances in 2023. So this first one, um, Mikhail Kingsbury. Um, so I'm adding this only because... Mike Douglas always pesters us whenever we talk about like great achievements in sport. And, you know, Mike Douglas is a mogul skier yep. and Mikhail Kingsbury is the greatest mogul skier of all time. And he has 83 World Cup victories and he's always peppering. He's like, what about Mikhail? What about Mikhail? <laughs> Kingsbury did this. And so in, in 2023, he became the first four time singles moguls world champion ever. Um, yeah, he is by far the most dominant. But the only thing I will say, and I don't want this to be like, super negative but like who actually mogul skis anymore wow. like I, it just seems like <laughs> like that is a i mean if we think of like ski racing as a small niche and you know ultra running is a small niche i think feel like competitive mogul skiing is like the smallest of niches not to take away from his athletic achievements obviously he is incredibly dominant at it it's always been a pretty small niche sport but it's not like it was in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s when you know when i was ski racing there was only two avenues that you had on your local hill as far as like formal youth programs and that was freestyle or mogul skiing and and racing and now we have big mountain skiing we have free ride teams um but it seems like mogul skiing is really i like i don't even see mogul tracks set up at palisades anymore i know they still have a team but it's so few there um that's a sport that Although it was really fun to do, I think we all still love to ski yeah. moguls from time to time. Like time it's to not time. A thing I think any of us want to do every day. Dude, what yeah, are you talking I mean, about? Every day? I don't know, man. I, I mean, from Taos to Crested Butte, we ski a lot of moguls. I can't wait to get you to the summit. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. 50. Totally. No, I'm definitely going to be skiing moguls. But no, I, skiing moguls is fun, but it also is not a, something I want to seek out every day. You know, it's like, you're like, well, you know. 
it's fun from time to time, but it's like not, uh, it's just like the same. I don't go carving every day. Like I love going carving every once in a while when the groomers are good, but I'm not going carving every day. It's a part of the enjoyment what makes skiing so beautiful, but it's not like, Hey, let's just go like all I'm waiting for, like screw this powder. Let's wait to get out there until the moguls properly form. I mean, hell, you can argue too. A lot of people argue the moguls aren't as good as they used to be. Fat skis killed mogul skiing. <laughs> this is why you're going to get booed at, at our live edition of Reviewing the News. I'm feeling confident right now. I'd love also, I'm feeling confident. <laughs> I love also that you're like, I don't go carving as if that's, I didn't know that was like a noun, you know? Yeah. Okay. You've never been to St. Moritz, have you? I have you? not. No, I have not. We, we okay. go carving? Like literally in St. Moritz. Yeah, so they have early up passes to, they have it quoted in English, carve the white carpet. Ooh. And so like St. Moritz, the main ski area is pretty south facing mm. and they will come up and you can get early ups to be the first on the groomers to lay down your wow. carves. And you'll see people right out there in the morning with like, 170 gs skis and just trying to carve and you know get it before the the, yeah. carve, the the groomers are a little bit more tracked out and whatnot no there's like i mean euro carving is a scene for sure and it's fun to go yeah. carving like i'm definitely not on like a 170 gs ski but like <laughs> it's fun yeah just go try and drop a hip and like lay into a power turn yeah. it's like i've i've found some newfound enjoyment in it like we were up in alaska and there was like the one non-powder day we had, the the groomers were amazing. And Elise and I were just like ripping groomers. It was super fun. Well, I guess that's my point. Like we ski groomers. I mean, that's, we, we talk about this all the time. Like every single run you ski in Crested Butte, you end up skiing a groomer. And some days if it's still firm, yep. you just go ski groomers. We just call that like going skiing or skiing groomers, not going carving. Yeah. No, well, I call it like going carving. Like the intention is to just lay some trenches and try and, you know, make some GS turns and whatnot. Like that's the goal. Like you're seeking out yeah. that right pitch, the, you know, those rollovers, the, the, the terrain within the groomer that makes it super mm. fun. So, but I don't do that all day. That's like a morning of that. And then you're probably done mm. with it. By the way, if anyone at St. Moritz is listening to this, please invite me. I want to come get on the early ups. Ski the white carpet program. That sounds fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm easily reachable. St. Moritz, though, that is quietly one of the best little like ski zones in the world. I mean, obviously, we know St. Moritz. It's super famous. But there's a couple different mountains around that are kind of in that valley or whatnot that are incredible. They've got kind of their own Chamonix version. They've got their own like Verbier version and uh, Corvach and uh, um Diavoletza, and then you've got Sam Rich, which is the south facing and incredible groomers. And the groomers are really, really hmm. good at, at Sam Moritz. So now it's a, it's a super good little area. I went there way back in the day with Powder Magazine. It was, we had a huh. good time, but let's yeah, keep moving. Wait, wait. Um, I think we need to now apologize to Mikhail Kingsbury because we started celebrating him and ended up talking about going carving. So, Mikhail, oh, yeah, apologies. But yeah, apologies. Um, but I mean, he is the he is the goat, and I don't want to like take away from his dominance. But it's unfortunately mogul skiing seems to be a waning niche of skiing. 
Um, we might grow again. We see it all the time, ups and downs of popularity within a sport. Um, and you know, like right now you can say the same for probably like park skiing's in a little bit mm-hmm. of a low point. It could come back up. Um, we're seeing a lot of different types of skiing kind of starting to flourish right now. So, um, right now maybe in a little low point, but uh next person i wanted to bring up this was um i don't follow the bike racing world too much but there's a mountain biker keegan swenson um he seems like the new young prodigy in the mountain bike world and um some friends that are kind of in that world are just like enamored by this guy um he won the leadville 100 in a record-breaking time um he did a hundred miles and i think it's got like ten thousand vert in five hours and 43 minutes um, averaged about 18 miles an hour for a hundred miles. Um, that's bananas. I mean, that's like an afternoon ride for him yeah. is a hundred miles in five hours and 43 minutes. Um, he also won the unbound gravel, the 200 miler and the sea otter as well. Like this guy, and he's starting to get into road cycling. Like there's rumors of him being so talented that it'll end up going kind of the, the, road cycling route so um he's kind of exploded onto the scene um so if you don't know him um he's a good follow on instagram um and he's also just like kind of breaking some breaking records and doing incredible things in the mountain biking world um i wanted to bring up to the alpine climb this has been like the most celebrated alpine climb in a long time um, we tend to talk about here on this podcast a lot about like the high altitude Himalayan climbs and, you know, some of the negative impacts of it. And this was really celebrated and actually made some big news, which was cool that it broke through kind of the 14 peaks, 8000 meter race. Um, so Alan Rousseau, Jackson Marvell and Matt Cornell, who did the north face of Janu, which is a 7700 meter uh mountain in the himalaya and it was considered pretty much the greatest alpine big wall climb of all time um you know you had people like jimmy and conrad who obviously did maru and the first ascent of that and them them both calling this the greatest alpine climb of all time um so i wanted to throw that out there and it was really cool to see that get in something like the new york times get an article about it because you know, it's it's such a small niche and it's hard to understand how difficult it was. So the fact that it made that much news was is really cool for them. Um, that was worthy of celebration and just kind of like a in a negative world of Himalayan climbing news. That was a really bright, positive point, I would say. What else you got? Um, you threw this out there, but it's, uh, you know, Jesse Diggins, she went in the tour to ski, which was a second time. Um, she's become the most dominant U S Nordic skier of all time. And she's absolutely incredible. Um, alongside Sophia Lockley, um, becoming the youngest women, uh, woman ever to win a cross country world cup. Um, she's also a Solomon team ultra runner, trail runner as well. So, um, she's one to keep your eyes out on. And, um, that's like, it's kind of cool to see this resurgence of Nordic skiing and a sport that's been so dominated by Scandinavians yeah. and us has always seemed to underperform in that, um, that there's this resurgence of it. What I will say, which was pretty interesting of all of these is like how many of our categories are led by yeah. women, um, and doing these unbelievable things. And it's pretty cool to see that. Like, I literally kind of had to seek out what, you know, big things happened in 
men's sports. And that was like he and, and the Genu North Face. Um, but like most of our things were women led. And so it's been kind of cool to see how like in in the US women's sports are surging so strongly. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, I don't know if we maybe I guess I would still say for all the reasons we discussed at the top, I think I'm going to give 2023 to Courtney with uh, with and and yet I'm com- still completely blown away with what Michaela has done. I think that's where it kind of ranks for me. But I mostly I'm glad that we just highlighted a number of like incredible performances and good job, folks, and good job, humankind. Yeah. So where are we going next? Let's talk ski resorts and business models. I think we go that way. Um, you had kind of brought some things up along these lines, and so I'm going to throw the mic back to you. Cool. Uh, this article's from outside. Um, the headline is, This iconic Utah ski resort is going semi-private next year. Um, subheadline, Powder Mountain will move to a model of real estate tied to private skiing as well as public access in 2024. So to sum it up, um, Reed Hastings, um, the founder and CEO of Netflix, um, he bought a controlling stake in Powder Mountain, I believe, last year. And this article goes to sum up his introduction of a new business model for Powder Mountain. And, um, you know, here's a quote from him. It says, in order to pay our bills, we need to sell more real estate. And to do that, we are introducing private homeowner only skiing a year from now. We will be designating the village and Mary's lifts, which serve beginner and intermediate terrain, plus a new lift on rain tree for this private skiing starting a year from now. Um, so this notion of a semi-private, semi-public ski area, obviously, is controversial as a lot of people and Palmal locals up in arms. But I kind of wanted to discuss more about like the business model because Hastings essentially saying that Powder Mountain is a company that's not necessarily making a profit or that is financially solvent. It has financial troubles. And so he is trying to introduce a new business model um, to keep powder mountain afloat and he specifically goes on to saying that their goal is to stay away from the icon and epic pass bandwagon as he put it um so what's interesting to me is that one we're seeing this kind of semi-public semi-private ski area gaining more traction as a business model there's Wyndham mountain in the new york and then uh, my a local ski area here called Homewood that had been flirting with going completely private. Um, that since now actually ended. Um, I believe what the owners or whether it was the county, there was some they they stopped seeking a private ski area, turning Homewood private. But this idea seems to be popping up as a sort of competitive answer to Icon and Epic, and goes without saying you know that like icon and epic passes are pulling skiers away from these ski areas because we we know it as a consumer buying an epic pass or an icon pass makes a lot of financial sense you 
buy a cheap pass and then you can go to a ton of different ski areas. So, you know, whether it's local day ticket traffic at ski areas like Powder Mountain, whether it's pass holders that are paying the same, if not more, for just one ski area, it's hard to, you know, gain a clientele. Like there is at Powder Mountain diehard clientele. And I think Powder Mountain has always been kind of regarded as a secret stash ski area. Like there's powder skiing that you can do for three, four days after a storm. There's cat skiing access. There's backcountry access. It's pretty like heralded as this like always been an uncrowded powder centric ski area with very few people. But competing against Icon and Epic is becoming very hard. So they're trying to move to different models. So on that model, I just wanted to talk to you about one, do you think this model can work? And then two, I don't know if you've ever had any of those thoughts, deep thoughts at night. Is there any other sort of models out there that will work, that will keep independent ski areas alive? We know that there's an indie pass and that's doing some some good things for these independent ski areas. But like, I don't know, it just seems like these independent ski areas are finding it to be an uphill battle to compete against the the duopoly of Vale and Altera. Yeah. One, I'm sad to say I don't have the sort of silver bullet idea that I think fits, you know, kind of everywhere, you know, could be easily uh, replicable. That said, and two, you know, man, the whole idea of selling real estate to kind of fund and make make it uh, kind of solvent and make it uh, make it work to have ski areas go we've we've seen that model right like that's a lot of the, uh, the intro west yeah exactly <laughs> exactly we are extremely familiar with that model uh certainly in the united states that said so so i you know i'm thinking about scalable ideas replicable ideas i don't think what is being discussed at powder mountain is obviously scalable that we would want to see this replicated in a bunch of different places but on the face of it i can't say that i'm mad about what they're doing there i fully acknowledge one you know i don't live there i don't know the the ins and outs and all the details but i am at least open to this that if this is a way to change the situation which I always am on the side of it's easy to complain and push back that somebody doesn't like a new model or something. Cool. What's the alternative? What's your better idea for how to make this sustainable? Right? It's I don't like complaining without solutions. But in this case, um I think it's going to be really interesting. But this story doesn't leave me with this notion that uh, ah, here is where we've stumbled onto a new model or something that we can just see this now go to numerous ski areas around the U.S. and perhaps elsewhere. And that is how we keep independent ski areas alive and thriving. Yeah, because, I mean, ultimately, I think what we cherish and celebrate about independent ski areas is their accessibility, their family friendliness, their their cheaper passes, their cheaper day tickets, whatever it is, the their kind of introductory mountains for for families. And we we celebrate that. 
So to serve a clientele that I think is like turning away from ski areas like Snowbird, mm-hmm. that is turning away from areas like Whistler and Jackson because they are they're richer than the average skier that's buying an Icon or Epic Pass, and they're wanting a more quiet experience, wanting less crowds. So we're going to flip these quieter ski resorts to servicing a richer clientele. So to me, it's like you, you're not necessarily celebrating the, the beauty of the independent ski resort by switching to that model. But I also, at the same time, you're like, well, I mean, if this ski area is going to become financially insolvent and close, yeah. what's the other option? I mean, that would be the worst for everybody. That would be the worst for the diehard locals, the families, even the wealthy people that want to go buy real estate slopeside and have a private ski run to themselves. Yeah. So. That's where you like, I don't know the financial dealings of of Powder Mountain. I will say like in an idealistic world, you're like, well, Reed, you're like a billionaire. Just maybe you can fund it yourself. But that's not a replicable model. Hey, let's have billionaires own it and just like privately fund it out of their own piggy banks. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting. Again, I think it goes back to this beginning of the podcast where I'm talking about change. Like we're seeing, you know, what the repercussions of of the icon and epic pass is on other ski areas that are not a part of it you know i haven't mentioned yet but we have talked about it of being a base and moving away from altera pass having some troubles in the beginning but then end up being more profitable and having more skiers there um it ended up being a success for them but obviously that's not the case at powder mountain nor is that the case at other areas so it's you know ultimately i think that it comes down to local solutions mm-hmm. um locally kind of figured out as the market you know powder mountains pretty far north of salt lake city more of a destination and unless you live in places like ogden um so you know it's not there's not that much day day traffic that is going up there from the epicenter that is salt lake city so maybe it's like oh yeah we're gonna build houses so that we can fund this a little bit through real estate but again, I go back to what we kind of mentioned before, the inner west. We have seen this model before and it didn't necessarily work. They they hit a wall mm-hmm. and they were forced to sell because they created a real estate-based business model. And ultimately you can't continue to just build houses. There's, you know, one uh limited supply of land around these ski areas. And then two, there's a limited supply of wealthy enough people to buy million dollar mansions slopeside. So It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, my hope is that the those local diehards don't get pushed out. They still have access. They still preserve a bit of their character. And maybe this is like off to the side and it's the the thing, the almost like trickle down economics that helps the the local skiers. We know that doesn't work in a national scale, but maybe this works in a sort of business model for one ski area. So it'll be interesting to follow. I mean, I don't have the most hope for it. I do think, you know. Reading Reed Hastings quotes, it's to me like it seems like he's well intentioned, I will say. Like, um, it doesn't seem like he's trying to do this because he's a billionaire and just wants a private ski area for his buddies, um, a la the Yellowstone Club or something. But like I think he has good intentions, and so we'll see if that works out. Yeah. Yeah, and I just one thing I want to say is just to make sure we're clear. Reed Hastings is not outlining a blueprint to go take to use at a number of ski areas, right? And in that way, 
it is very different from IntraWest, right? And I just want to make sure that like people yes. are clear about that. And so you you call this, I think, correctly a local solution. We'll see if it works or how well it works. But that is where we are just saying, yeah, selling a bunch of real estate to fund ski areas as a blueprint uh, for you know how to run a bunch of ski areas. I think neither you nor I are saying we think that's a good idea because history. All right, where to? Do you want to talk, continue on the business model, but more in the media realm? Sure. Um, yeah, it's been kind of a wild, I guess it just lasts seven days or so, or we can say start to 2024. One, I know that, you know, given that occasionally you and I will pay attention to things like, I don't know, football or the NBA and all of our listeners here at Reviewing the News are just always waiting for us to start talking about those things. Sports Illustrated, how even best to put this, but effectively is sort of suspended operations um, for a minute, perhaps indefinitely until a new ownership group comes up. It is a bizarre situation and story. Another thing, by the way, Pitchfork, which we have not maybe ever talked about Pitchfork on any blister podcast uh but pitchfork was i think it's safe to say one of the most respected uh music review media companies anywhere for quite a while pitchfork it was just announced is being sort of shuttered and brought in under the gq banner and so um, I guess I'll just mention those two for now, but we're seeing some major changes and struggles in the media landscape. And maybe it's more fitting now to just go back to Sports Illustrated because that's about to hit closer to home potentially in some ways. But did you want to highlight any other uh, media titles or properties? Well, I mean, the reason why we're talking about Sports Illustrated, even though we do talk about football, is because the Arena Group, mm -hmm. um, which is the owners of Sports Illustrated, they also own the Men's Journal Lifestyle Media Group, which includes Surfer, Powder, Bike, Snowboarder, Skateboarder, and NewSchoolers.com. So that's where this has this repercussions mm -hmm. um, in the fact that Essentially, they've they said they're suspending operations, laying off a massive amount of their workforce at Sports Illustrated. Um, I know some of the people that work at Powder in the Resurrected Powder, um, which kind of mirrors the Sports Illustrated model, um, which I don't know exactly what to call that model. But I will say, like, you know, from a from a nostalgia standpoint, we were all very happy to see at least like powder publishing things in under that banner, under that name. Um, having Dave Reddick working there again is awesome because we all love Dave Reddick and he was like, you know, he's the legendary photo editor for Powder Magazine for decades. And so it's really nice to have it back, but it's in such a different form. You know, it's a very... um content aggregator yeah. website that is littered yeah. with ads yeah. like making the websites almost unnavigable it's really hard to actually read the content and you know we know matt Lorelli, we know cy whittling like people that we know in the industry and to see like 
oh, this just came for their biggest title, um, Sports Illustrated, like this could have repercussions down the line to companies like Powder. So it makes you nervous. But more than anything, what's really fascinating to me is just this this attempt, this this transition of legacy media, these brands that we know and love, Sports Illustrated being something that was one of the most important sports uh, outlets for many decades. And, you know, now it's feeling like it's dying, but it like maybe has already died twice before and it keeps trying to be resurrected. And in this day and age, you know, essentially we're switching from magazines to websites and these business models competing against each other and media isn't dying like we've seen in the sports world lots of of growth Mm -hmm. i mean barstool sports came out of nowhere and is now a gigantic brand we saw like pat mcafee show um being a podcast and youtube show now being front and center on espn and so like new media has exploded but this this transition for for legacy media into new modern media has been really really difficult and it's almost like the weight of the legacy is like pulling back too hard to evolve with the modern times and i will say from a consumer standpoint you know reading sports illustrated reading powder reading surfer it's really tough like the model of like just advertisements absolutely littering every single article and web page is really unpleasant and to me i always was like how does this work you know is there enough people that accidentally click on these websites and then they're getting you know 25 cents for every one of those ads and that's adding up to a place where these you know these media outlets are actually financially solvent obviously we're seeing some troubles with it with sports illustrated but Ultimately, like, I don't know, I just the legacy media thing we, you know, our generation that grew up with legacy media and want to see it continue to thrive while now it's kind of going by the wayside. It's I think we're just nostalgic for its demise. In the meantime, we'll say there's new media in the outdoor world like Lister Review, like the Mountain Gazette Mm -hmm. that has been successful. So it's not like media is in general troubled it's certain sectors of media are really troubled Mm -hmm. yeah and i think a big thing that i come back to and i think it is true for media i think it's true for most businesses it is for people to ask who is at the helm who actually gets to call the shots of how a company is going to be run, how their products are going to be built and designed, you know, how they treat quote-unquote content. And in the case of the Arena Group, it's very clear. Like, as you just said, it it is these sites that are littered with advertisements. It's a shitty experience. And for those of us who actually care about skiing or surfing, etc., it's kind of insulting because it's just a denigration, you know? And it was funny. I was actually talking to Mike Rogie yesterday, um, and I said, you know, when this, yay, there was all this enthusiasm about powder being resurrected, 
And I, I said to him, I was like, this to me felt like Pet Cemetery. It's like, you're real sad that your beloved dog died. And now the dog is back. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and that's how I, that is a great analogy. that's how I feel about this. And I, I'm like, man, for those of us who do care about these sports and these cultures and the rest, just be able to call a spade a spade. And, you know, yes, nostalgia is a powerful thing, but you, you already explained the experience on being, of being on those sites, and I'm not okay with celebrating a title if this is the actual experience by the people that are actually pulling the levers at the very top. And ultimately, I just think those people don't give a shit about skiing. I don't know if they give a shit about, uh, about uh, surfing, etc. And if they don't, be careful for, for what is coming out of that media outlet. Um, happy to be proven wrong. I will say, I mean, yeah, at the, at the tippy top, like I met the, That's right. the guy that runs Powder and he was, came to the QST tour in San Francisco. He was a diehard skier, skis Palisades. And so, you know, he is running Powder and he cares about skiing. I know that. And I know Matt and Cy and those people really care about skiing, but they're the, not the yeah, ones the tippy top. Yeah. They're uh, not the ones pulling the levers at the top. No, no, and I get what you're saying, and and like, yeah, this connection to legacy media, it is. So my big thing these days, and this is what legacy media did, is creating culture and community. Mm -hmm. And I gave a talk at Solomon recently um, about it was about YouTube, but I mainly just went on a pissed off rant about social media and how broken social media is, and how you know marketers we look at the numbers oh you got 1.1 million views great you're like yeah but actually what does that do to create culture community connection trust like social media is such a place that is in my opinion broken gimmicks trends they are the things that are getting a million views the best skiers in the world are not like i pointed out josh dyack in this presentation of like one of his most successful posts was him ice skating um, across a lake with skis on his back. And he, at, you know, a Solomon thing, got an award for that because it got so many views and whatnot. But then meanwhile, he goes skis aligned that like mm -hmm. less than 0.01% yeah. of the planet can ski. And he shows how he's one of the most talented and incredible skiers on the planet. And that gets like 10,000 views. And you're like, so what is it? How is that building Josh's reputation, Solomon's reputation? in you know an ice skating video versus doing what josh is doing and so like that's to me social media is broken and then some of these business models in normal media almost chasing social media's model i think are broken as well and they're they're not creating culture and community and that's what i do think what is this you look at the success of of blister you look at the success of mountain gazette and a lot of even just like barstool mm -hmm. it felt like a culture that feels like you're a part of something you're, you respect the audience there um who you talk to you know like i don't i don't read barstool i don't listen to any of it it's too bro bra frat boy for me but there's a lot of bro bra right. frat boys out there that love yeah. it and that's all they want to listen to and so they have this like culture and strong community that's been very successful and same blister diehard skiers gear nerds people that are like really interested 
in the dynamics of the the industry they're they're coming to blister to to figure out to to be entertained to read about stuff to learn about stuff they go to mountain gazette for interesting stories all about you know the outdoors in general and it feels like a culture and a community and so to me it's like whatever you do in the media world it's like build a culture build a community and service that culture and community and don't just try and chase you know the next big thing and I mean, I even think that's probably been a bit of the success of the 50 is mm-hmm. just it's it's not like it's um, I don't know, I'm doing anything groundbreaking. It's just more that it felt different and it felt inclusive and it felt like people were going along for the ride with me. And so it built this kind of like fandom behind it. And not that I'm saying I like saw that and did that. It just happened to do that. But I'm just analyzing what has been successful in media these days falls within this like culture and community realm. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. I have nothing to add for once. Knocked it out of the park. So, so we should have saved that topic for live. I would have got a big applause. Damn it, you would have definitely would have taken you down. Thank God. <laughs> still, you're still going to get all the booze. Um, where are we going to next? Um, I don't. Do you want to talk? Of, uh, let's go. Let's go. Climate change. Let's go to you. Always throw in the climate change things. I will say, like, I've been. I've been diving in on climate change news. I don't know why recently, just in like, I swear like three quarters of the articles I read these days are related to climate change and some sort of things. But this was a great opinion piece that you threw out um, in the New York Times. So why don't you open it? Well, I came across this op-ed in the New York Times by Auden Schendler. We've mentioned Auden a number of times. Uh, Auden is the, I believe it is the his, the official title is Vice President of Sustainability for Aspen Ski Company. Um, I think he's one of the most thoughtful people, certainly connected with the outdoor industry when talking about these issues. Uh, the dude is not afraid to piss people off or shake the tree or whatever you want to say. The the article, the op-ed that Auden wrote is called What It Really Takes to Fix a Monstrosity Like Climate Change. One of the key, I think, sentences in Auden's article, he says, if we're going to use these markets to reduce emissions, governments must administer and enforce them to make sure the reductions for which one polluter is paying another in the carbon market these so-called offsets are real. And what that is in response to is Auden just calling into question, and it's not just his opinion. He is looking at the science and looking at, as we hear about these carbon offsets, are we actually accomplishing anything positive and beneficial through markets like the offset market? And he talks about some other sort of levers on the uh the climate change uh machine. And anyway, that's that's one of the things I wanted kind of wanted to raise in this question. Mostly what I wanted to do is just call attention to this article and I want people to go read it. Anything in particular, Cody, you wanted to bring up from the piece? I mean, yeah, it kind of sums up a lot of the way I think about climate change and to have it from him who lives and breathes and works in it for decades is, you know, it's really powerful because he's coming at it from an actual expert viewpoint. But um, this one in particular stood out to me. Um, It's important in order to live a meaningful life to be principled. 
But perhaps we need to continue to wrap our heads around the fact that our principled everyday behaviors will not solve this. Only voting, getting governments to do the above will or might. Um, the or might being very key to it as well. Um, you know, so like we talk about that, you know, I note it in our own, your own personal small activism. You post something about climate change, you're immediately called a hypocrite. You know, you're not doing enough, whatever. And we then push back of being like, well, it's the individual has no impact. And you're like, well, they, they, they do. And that's the only thing I'll push back on in this is that I do think it is up to people that have not only positions of power to change business, but positions of influence to lead by example, to be out there, to spread this message and be like, there is going to be necessary change that we are all going to have to do, even if it comes from a government mandate, even if it's like perfectly capitalistic solution and everything's cheaper and better. If you switch over, it's still going to be a change. And people just in general don't like change all that much. So that's the one thing I think he didn't talk about. But ultimately, like the fact that I think you have to wrap your head around is that 7 billion people on this planet aren't going to willingly volunteer to reduce their own carbon output. And what he's saying in this is that the free market capitalism isn't going to do it as well. Um, That line where he talks about, um, you know, capturing methane and turning into energy. And so it being methane, just a horribly, you know, toxic agent for greenhouse gas and warming and climate change. And they did this incredible project to capture and turn it into energy and how they did it once. And it was incredible. And they were never able to do it again because no federal policy existed to ensure the capture or mitigation of this super warming agent, as he puts it. And it's like, yeah, because like the free market is going to want to hold on to status quo. And we're seeing that we're seeing what he outlines of being COP 28, um, 1800 uh, oil and gas lobbyist executives, industry people were there, which you know, obviously it's good to have them there to be like, hey, we need to change things. But it's also kind of laughable. You're like, you know, it's wolves calling for the regulation of wolves. Um, you know, it's it's ultimately like him saying this on a large stage that it has to be government, I think, is really important because it truly is in order to get things to slow down quickly. We're going to have to change things quickly i will say and this kind of spoils the end but i've uh, been reading the ministry of the for the future um right now i don't know if you've read that book and pretty terrifying and it's uh really it it's this but the challenges of government even changing it a united world changing it and um that's that or might kind of feels like you're like how are we going to actually change things? Because we're racing down a path that is unsustainable. And and by the way, just to, this is a bit of a compliment. I'm going to say it's like if we were at the live reviewing the news, you just you just like clapped for me. So that what you read, and it, I highlighted this in the doc that Cody and I share. I actually wrote that. That wasn't, that's not in Auden's article. Oh. So props to me. But no, I mean- but but um so that so i just don't, i just don't want to confuse people 
But I mean, Auden, Auden has been one of the best people out there along these lines. Cody, I think you just spoke to it really well. Yes, in our everyday lives, we need to be thoughtful about our personal decisions. And yet, and again, credit to Auden, because he is one of the first people I heard really speaking to this. It is not, it is not sufficient for us to just all turn our the, you know, the thermometers in our homes down one or two degrees. Like we have to get that governmental change for there to be the kind of seismic change that we need. And um, so this is in response to Auden's article. This is the line that I, I wrote. I, I said, it's important in order to live a meaningful life to be principled, but perhaps we need to continue to wrap our heads around the fact that our principled everyday behaviors will not solve the problem. Only voting and only getting governments to do the right things will or might. And so I, I think that is consistent with what Auden is saying in this article. Again, people go read him. Um, but that's one of the things that I think we will continue to wrestle with. I think any of us who are trying to do sort of the right thing beyond the right side of history, our individual actions matter. It is, I think, part of living a principled life. They are not going to change things. How do we square that, no. right? And I think understanding this is why when we talk about the importance for us to vote or the importance for those some of us to get involved in local politics, national politics, etc., that's where I think we're actually, if we really want to take steps in, in the big way, that's what we've got to do. So that's part of why I wanted to bring Auden's article up. Um, we all have to sort of reckon with that. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Uncomfortable reality or odd reality, our individual actions and the fact that this absolutely is going to require collective action. You know, it's one thing we didn't put on the list, but that we probably need to. And it's perfect segue from what you just said of getting involved in national politics is Caroline Gleick running for U.S. Senate, yep. which on its face, you look at it and you're like, wow, that is audacious. Yep. Uh, professional skier just running for Mitt Romney's seat in the U.S. Senate, not even starting in small government. But uh, there's things I can disagree with her, things in social media and social media is not the best platform for messaging, whatever. But she is being involved and she's doing a great job of being at local meetings, representing climate change in town halls, going to government meetings in yep. Salt Lake City, and now literally running for U.S. Yep. Senate on, a, you know, her primary message generally is on climate change. So, like, good honor, because, like, I'm not going to run for for any sort of political party like that seems really gnarly and you really have to hang it out there. Um, You, you know. She is going to face a lot of hate and a lot of hard yeah. work along this way. So good on her for doing that. And if you kind of laugh at it, I think that's you trying to put yourself above the situation and you shouldn't laugh at it. You need to be inspired that's by it. Right. And like, you know, the fact that she's doing it is pretty awesome. Um, you know, unfortunately, she's running in a state where it's her chances of actually winning that seat are very low. But like, 
whatever. I think just the fact that she's doing it is really, really powerful. So, and and it goes back to all the way. I I fully agree with you. And and it sucks that it's going to come down to government rules because we know that government isn't necessarily the most efficient place for rapid change. Um, democracies are slow. Um, they're incredibly so. Our democracy right now feels like the slowest thing on the planet. And yet, free market capitalism is also showing to not be the ultimate solution right. because the status quo is going to be fighting for to maintain that position. And although there is probably lots of money to be made in these things that we've talked about, fission and, you know, solar panels are going to incredible technological gains in terms of their efficiency and price uh, for that efficiency. And we're seeing, you know, electric cars exploding and, you know, the new governmental regulations that are going to be enforced on mileage. And, you know, there's things that are happening, but ultimately, like, it needs to happen a lot faster because, like, we keep burning at this rate and we're going to be facing catastrophic changes. And it's like, I it was interesting. I was with a group of people that are in the environmental realm, but they're in a different, they're more in the pollution kind of realm. And, you know, the, their knowledge of climate change was a lot different than mine. And it almost seemed like, yeah, it's bad, but like, no, we're working on pollution, which is great. Like work on that. That's part of the yep. whole problem. But it was like almost eye opening to see you're like, wow, there's, you know, our little bubble being in the ski world in the mountains. I think we really are sensitive to it and we're really seeing it. And the majority of the world, I don't know if it's exactly on that exact same path. You know, I know polls say that people know what's happening and want to do something about it, but like, what is that? Do something about it. Change your entire life, uproot the way you do things, um, spend a lot of extra money to retrofit your house with, heat pumps and solar panels and an electric car like that's a lot of change that people aren't willing to do and it's gonna have to come top down unfortunately i'm really glad that we brought up caroline and in fact um man her her announcement it knocked me back i i i i've shared totally. i've shared this with a few people you know we talk we talk a lot rightly so um i think in modern society certainly in outdoor sports about representation and the importance of representation. And as a white dude, you know, that has not exactly been my personal uh, need in life, like more representation. But man, there was something very palpable and tangible. When I saw Caroline's announcement, I was like, oh my God, one of us is running for senator. One of us. Yeah, totally. And it was really powerful. It was sure. really powerful. And it really knocked me back. And it was yet another reminder for when we hear about, you know, the need for representation, or you then see, of course, the corresponding comments on social media about get over it, just go do whatever. I was like, yo, I just had a very tangible, palpable, physical reaction that, like, wait, right, one of us can actually run for a very high office in the land. And um, so what we did, we reached out to Caroline and was like, hey, this is incredible. Come talk to us about it at the Blister Summit. And so she is coming to the summit and we're going to do a panel session. It's going to be hosted by Jason Blevins and we're going to hear Caroline's story about her decision to go run, 
we're going to have Nina Waters on that panel session. Nina is currently working as a Summit County Commissioner. And then Len Nessifer is going to be on that panel as well. I just had like a five-hour-long conversation with Len in Crested Butte talking about a lot of these related things. And I'm really excited for this. I think we're going to call that panel session Radical Acts. And in this case, the Radical Act is people that have the courage to be like, y'all are sitting there talking about going and voting? Cool. We're going to actually get like take this to the next level. And I think there is something very moving and very powerful in seeing, I'm going to say it, one of us taking those steps, you know, um, with all the sacrifices and all the time demands and all the criticisms that are going to come with it. I think it's incredibly laudable. And I think it is powerful in just saying, yo, all of you in the outdoor space, right? Those of us who love the outdoors. Get involved at the local level, get involved at the national or state level. Like, let's do this, you know, like, let's do the stuff we're talking about here. Make the moves, take the steps, get involved. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And um, I, I think it is a really big deal for all the reasons we've kind of just said. I totally agree. Uh, you know, Caroline kind of puts out there, you have to put out your achievements. And one of the things she says, climbing Everest, you know, I've that's something that's hard and that's why I can do something like running for office. And I'm like, climbing Everest is easy compared to what you're yeah. about to do. <laughs> like to me, like, obviously, you know, you can't die on Everest, but like ultimately like running for office, like I've, I've worked with political campaigns. It's so gnarly. It's so hard. It is one of the most dehumanizing things you can do. Like it is so tough. So good yeah. honor. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, man, we've been all serious and fired up for a while here. I think that means it is time for a palate cleanser. And that, of course, means most Canadian news. Celine wrote us and um, let's see. Celine said, hey, team, greetings from Revelstoke. I've thought about writing in many times, but I have never pulled the trigger. Recently, however, I came across this and I couldn't help myself. She says the first link is more informative, but the second one has a happy ending for his love life. And the his here is referring to a marmot named Camus. You want to jump in here, Cody? Yeah, this is one of the better Canadian news stories I think we've gotten. <laughs> so thank you, Celine. The headline, Vancouver Island Marmot Makes Marathon Journey Looking for Love. Camus, the marmot, makes 30-kilometer trek from Nanaimo Lakes to Arrington. Um, I know where Nanaimo is. I don't know where Arrington is, but um, I didn't really think about it until this standpoint. But yeah, marmots, like, they're not necessarily wanderers. You know, you see them in their holes on the mountains, and they're not like wolverines, like, traveling great distances. Mm -hmm. They're in their little dens, and then they're just, like, hanging out there. But this goes in to talk about a marmot that was rescued, rehabilitated in a zoo and then set free on Vancouver Island because the marmot population on Vancouver Island has been dwindling and how they were tracking this marmot and keeping it in its kind of area and then it just disappeared. And they ended up finding this marmot in someone's backyard and what they theorize is this young male was out looking for love. He's a lonely man 
in a lonely environment devoid of marmots and he's going wandering setting himself to incredible danger because you know marmots are little scary creatures they're, or scared scary. creatures they're like hiding in their dens from predators and like going 30 kilometers through the mountains across meadows to go try and find a mate just a great story of resilience and you know a little cuddly creature mountain creature trying to find love so the second article is talking about the happy ending. And the, the second article says we actually put him with a female. So it's Malcolm McAdey, veterinarian and captive breeding coordinator for the foundation. Next Monday, our plan is to move Camus and his new girlfriend into Strathcona to augment some of the colonies we are trying to reestablish. So Camus, good on you. You've made the most Canadian news. You've inspired those looking for love and you found it. What? So I I have only a slight issue to take with this. I think Celine put this in the most euphemistic of ways when she says this second article has a happy ending for his love life. I mean, the article says an arranged marriage. We, yeah, it's like <laughs> we put him with. So whether we want to think of this as an arranged marriage, which, by the way, of course, have wildly, you know, more successful rates of lasting. Right. I mean, so apparently, you know, most of us should be going the arranged marriage route. But maybe the worst case is if they just like I'm in some, you know, marmot cave and they just shove a female in there. It's like I I hope um, I hope there's good chemistry. Yeah, I hope so, too. I just like to think of this whole I like I can imagine like Sir David Attenborough narrating <laughs> Camus's adventures. You know, he gets placed out there. And he's finding life in the wild enjoyable, but then he's finally, you know, he finds himself to be lonely and goes risk, you know, ventures off at great personal risk, dodging falcons and eagles coming yeah. after him and jumping into holes and under rocks and just continues to persist and continue on looking for looking for love, looking for companionship. I just I think it's a you know, I can literally see a Disney movie out of Camus. Cam is the Canadian marmot. All right. I like your I like your version of events. All right. Well, Celine, thank you. Thank you for that news. And, you know, all of us wish Camus or Camus, as I called him, uh, much, much love and happiness with his new arranged marriage girlfriend or whatever. Um, OK, moving on. Uh, we're going to do one mountain town advice. Uh, and so this one. Actually, this one is just signed Frustrated Younger Brother. And so uh, Frustrated Younger Brother writes, Hey, Jonathan and Cody, love the show, particularly Mountain Town advice. And hey, Cody, good news. And your NFL coverage. Now, we have not talked about the NFL in this show, and I know we both actually have to get going. So we maybe won't talk too much about the NFL. Well, I don't know. We still got maybe 15, 20 minutes here. We'll see what happens. But um. Shout out. I'm still not ready to talk about the 49ers right now because I still feel like I'm going to vomit yeah. from that game against the Packers. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was terrible. I was like, Lisa and I were watching just going like, we actually might lose. We might lose. Like, we might lose. And I was like, just like feeling like sick to my stomach. And you're like, why are we so excited for playoffs and going to the Super Bowl? This is just torture. Like, I... Like, I don't really drink anymore. I had to have a scotch, like a large <laughs> scotch at the end of the game in order to just calm down and go to sleep that night. Like, I was, that was torture. So I'm not quite ready. Yet. Okay, wait a sec. I think you've opened the door. 
where are you personally at with 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy? Are you are you still a fan? Do you have questions, reservations? Are you all on Team Purdy? I'm all on Team Purdy, but you also have to set your expectations that he's a second-year quarterback. And so what I saw in that game, there's a really, really good quote where he talked about watching performances of Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and like, you know, playoff legends, Tom Brady, and how he was inspired by it, but just like, just take what's given to you, check down, and, and then you go for the big shots. And I think what I saw in that game was like, he really was playing conservatively, which is literally the opposite of his main strength of just being like, I'm chucking it to empty space and trusting my receiver gets there. He's just like full all full out, let it hang out. We're going for it. If it gets picked off, whatever. And I feel like he played conservatively. And then the unfortunate side of things is that's where his draft stock being he's smaller. He has small hands. It was a, it was pissing rain in yeah. Santa Clara. I do think he struggles with holding the football. So I think it was like four bad throws that were because of the rain. I think it was four bad throws because he was trying to just check down and being conservative and he was patting the ball. Um, and it wasn't until that last drive where he looked like Brock Purdy we've seen all season, mm -hmm. which was like, yeah, I think he was just like had that effort mentality and like, well, we got to do it. So I'm going to go back to what I know how to do, chucking it over linebackers over the middle and throwing two out routes before they they even make their break. So so it was good to see that. I think it's a learning experience. But like, it's so weird, like how much hate he kind of gets. Mm -hmm. It's almost he's been too successful yeah. for how where he was drafted. Yeah. But you're like, dude, he's. This is his second time in the NFC Championship game. It's his second year of playing football. Yeah. We're just you just talked about Patrick Mahomes playing in six straight NF AFC Championship games and here he's in his second straight and you're like, "Yeah, but he sucks." And you're like, "No, like he's pretty freaking yeah. good." Like I know the rest of the team is really good, but he's like still winning. So, yeah, that's where that's where I'm at with it. Okay. Um, you know, he's I think he's very good. Yeah. I think he can win a Super Bowl. I actually I picked the Ravens to win the whole thing. I was going to pick San Francisco. They're looking really good. I was going to pick San Francisco. The reason I picked the Ravens is because I was actually worried about San Francisco getting past Green Bay. I was like, that game is not a given. Yeah. And so if I, if I like both the Ravens and 49ers as my top two to win the whole thing, I was like, Ravens are the safer choice because I could, it, it, Green Bay was playing so well. I was like, if if they upset the 49ers, I actually wouldn't be that surprised. So you 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 dodge that bullet, but the Ravens do look real good right now. They do. And Detroit's looking really good right now. You know, I actually think Detroit we have a better chance of beating Detroit than Green Bay. And I think they'll end up playing better. But ultimately, like the Ravens look like juggernauts yeah. to me. And like all the advanced data, like I saw their DVOA is like 54 five points mm -hmm. and ours is like 32 like they're really good which either if we go to the super bowl then we're gonna we're literally playing one of the two teams that we've only lost to either the chiefs or the ravens mm -hmm. so i'm gonna be haunted if we get to the super bowl <laughs> i want to talk about the lions so bad but um what a fun i'm just gonna say what a fun team no prima donnas everybody just playing hard playing together it's, it's the best like i'm so happy for detroit fans I've been rooting for him up until this week, 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, frustrated younger brother, you and like five other people are welcome for that um, NFL tangent. And we blame you 
because you brought up the whole NFL coverage thing. So it is, uh, please direct all of your angry messages to frustrated younger brother. Okay. Carrying on. Love the show, particularly Mountain Town Advice and your NFL coverage, both realms that have been missing in the outdoor media ecosystem. We agree. We agree with you, frustrated younger brother. Similar to the question in your previous episode, which was where we talked about a non-skier girlfriend with snowboarder boyfriend, I ski with my older brother who boards. He lives in Hawaii, me on the mid-Atlantic East Coast. We get together once a year with the whole family in Park City for a week of skiing. It's a great trip with our nephews, parents, sister, and respective wives slash husbands. We don't get to see my brother much outside of this trip, and I don't get to actually ski much outside of this trip. My brother and I usually go off together as the rest of the family is much below our skill level. We will try to do an afternoon or a few runs with everyone else, but typically, but typically it's just the two of us. All in all, it's a blast getting to ride with him for the week, but akin to the previous emailer, he only loves to rip carving turns down moderate blues, particularly lapping one run we found that stays nice for the whole morning. I'm down to run it for the first few runs of the day, but then I'm clamoring to head up to Jupiter or the 9990. Sorry, I've never skied Park City. I don't know if we call that the 9990 or the 9990. Apologies. Neither of which really appeal to him. He makes a big deal about wanting to stay together, hang out, and ski together. Again, we see each other one to two times a year, but that usually just leads to doing the runs he wants. He can do the more advanced technical runs, but typically doesn't want to deal with the scraped off bumps on his snowboard. So I think we know where this is going. Mostly, I'm really over having to wait for him at the bottom of the same lift all freaking day on my biggest trips of the year. I've definitely used Cody's suggested move of the, oh, I'm sorry, I lost you, and then I get an afternoon or two by myself, but I know that bums him out. So what should we do here? What, what advice do we have? Is the advice any different to frustrated younger brother here? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's totally different. Um, you know, going back to that last email, I think we were trying to come up with actual solutions, but I think what ultimately, like any sort of relationship that is chosen, which is different than family. Yeah. Family is chosen for you. You can't choose your family. So when you're trying to build a relationship, there has to be sacrifice. And I think sacrifice is really important. And, you know, I look at it like, you know, if I'm Elisa and I are a trip together and I want to go ski touring and, you know, I'm on a ski tour like every day and she doesn't and we'll go off and do our separate things. But then she's like, no, I want to go. Let's ski the ski resort together. And uh, like, maybe I had some big epic tour plan that day, but you're like, no, I'm going to go ski with my wife. Like, I enjoy it. I like skiing with my wife. And I'm also going to be like, I'm not the most important person here. Our relationship is important. I'll go ski the resort with you. And we end up having a great time. And it's not even really a sacrifice, but it is kind of in your mind. Vice versa, at least we'll come touring with me just to make sure that we go out and do stuff together. So sacrifice is essential, but in a brother brother relationship, like there's almost no reason to employ that sort of tactic because, you know, it's your brother. You're not trying to build a relationship with him. So I personally don't have any sort of knowledge of what it's like to have a sibling because I am an only child. So I cannot say I'm coming with this with expertise. But my thing is like challenge him, 
you know, he obviously can ride these. And I will say the factor of being on a snowboard in moguls is less fun than it is on skis. I don't know many snowboarders out there that are like, yeah, let's go rip moguls. Like it just doesn't feel as natural. But what I start to employ is that like saying that there's no shitty snow, there's only shitty skiers, like use that against Mm. him being like, yeah, I know it's like cruise the groomers, but like the real snowboarders go ride terrain when the snow is not good. They get better by riding challenging conditions. I find that in my own ski career, people make fun of me for how little powder I ski. And I'm like, yeah, because I actually enjoy trying to make precise turns on shitty snow above exposure. Like it's like, there's something challenging to that. So that's where as a younger brother, I think you're in a unique position to kind of like challenge your brother a little bit, um, use a little bit of tactics. And in saying like, I don't know, find some video of um, legendary snowboarder ripping chopped up crud at a mountain and be like, yeah, like if it's Travis Rice, Travis Rice rips this kind of stuff all the time. Like he doesn't just go to the groomers. Let's mm-hmm. go up there. And, you know, that that's where I would take it as a younger brother, older brother kind of relationship different than uh, other kind of relationship. Yeah. You? Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. I think. And again, I want to just underscore what you said about like a partner, you know, your partner, that's different than your stupid brother. And so I, I totally on yeah. this one, like, no, we're drawing hard lines in the sand. We will go carving to quote Cody Townsend. We will, we will go carving in the morning and then we're getting on this other stuff and you are coming with me and that's that. And if you say no, I'm going to beat you with my skis. It would have been better if, if it was reversed and, you know, uh, frustrated younger brother mm-hmm. snowboarded because it seems more fun to beat somebody with a snowboard. But yeah, like do that. And and at that case, if the guy's still like, no, man, I'm not doing it. I'd be like, why are you ruining this trip? Why are you the worst possible brother in the world? You can handle this stuff. Let's go. Mm. What are you doing? Like use, pull out all the stops, but fair is fair on this one. And, and we do not need to treat this one delicately. That is my official opinion on this. I get that. I actually get the sense that they have a really close relationship, like a friendly relationship, not a typical like butting heads, brother to brother relationship that is pretty stereotypical. Like, so I would say that feels a little extreme just from the tone of the email. Like, you know, they want to ride together. They want to have fun. But I mean, do you, you you have brother, sister, sister? Yeah. Not a skier. Yes. Not a skier. So this has never come up. But my sister, if, if she were in this situation, she would be like, absolutely. Is it cool if we like, you know, rip some groomers in the morning and then go, you know, ski the technical stuff? Like, yes, everybody would be on board. She, she, she's cooler than your brother right now. I'm sorry. I hope you play this episode for your older brother because my sister would be super down to like go, go ride whatever. I'm trying to, yeah. inst- I'm inflicting I mean, shame. Very, I'm inflicting shame of- on this dude. I don't care. I don't know why. I'm with you on the partnership stuff. You went, you went real soft on the partnership stuff too. You were trying to like, if people can go mm-hmm. back and listen to that episode, but with brother on brother, man, no, this, this should not stand. Dude needs to go, needs to go ride Jupiter with you. Yeah. Well, I'm a lover. I'm a fighter. <laughs> I, so I, so. I want to make sure relationships are positive. but i mean that's where i i just think like the the challenging of you know like pointing out that like the 
like there is that is the beauty of skiing and snowboarding to me. Like we've talked about it here. Like going carving is fun. Mm-hmm. Going ripping groomers fun. is fun. Going skiing yes. moguls is fun. There's so many different ways to have fun skiing. Yes. So challenge your brother to have fun in a way that isn't known to be fun. Like hell, I for 20 years hated ski touring and hated any sort of running and endurance. Guess what? That's all I'm obsessed with <laughs> now. Like you can grow, you can find new ways to enjoy the outdoors and the sports that we do. So like I would sort of challenge him to to grow up a little mm. bit, to to grow his expansion of what is fun. So um I would use a little bit of like ego along the way and challenges ego like and that's where i would take it and the last thing i want to say is this would be even better say if you don't come ski jupiter with me right now i'm gonna grab your own snowboard and then beat you with your own snowboard so that's my that's (laughs) actually where i want to wrap on this segment but um good luck play this for your brother and then let us know if in fact he goes and you know rides the the stuff after you have yeah gone carving with him you know fair is fair but like it's got to be both here folks all right we got to get going let's just wrap with a couple of things we've been reading or watching um you mentioned one thing but you you go first cody yeah i've been reading the ministry of the future um it's terrifying i think the opening chapter is one of the more terrifying opening chapters that's completely plausible um outcome of climate change you can read i mean it almost like scares you straight um which is really powerful okay so i wanted to pull up this uh line that sort of inspired the author kim stanley robinson and he had a doctoral supervisor who wrote that it is easier to imagine the end of the world than imagine the end of capitalism and that is what is kind of the inspiration behind the book and um it's really technocratic it goes deep into kind of un governmental stuff but i've been finding it really really fascinating um really good book i think do they talk about beef no we talked about that uh actually you mentioned it you mentioned it briefly but we didn't i did okay yeah i mean yeah beef was one of the best shows and i it won some emmys and stuff so i'm still behind it okay I I watched, I think just, I'm no further than where we were last time. I think I watched the first episode, but if you still feel that strongly Mm -hmm. about it, I will, I will put it on, keep it on the list. Um, One thing I will say, it's been kind of award season and I have really enjoyed seeing the bear and succession, like win everything that feels very right to me. Um, Even if Cody isn't on exactly where he should be about the bear i'm watching it now for the third time and it's still amazing yeah so maybe i'll never watch beef and just keep watching the bear on repeat might do that okay i think i I think you're just uh i mean what do you you like the bear more or the new calvin klein ads more (laughs) with uh jeremy allen white of the bear thanks for asking though i mean i thought those I thought the Calvin Klein ads were spectacular, so <laughs> I wanted to say that. Jeremy's been working out, man. Jeremy's been working out. Uh, he's been very, very much yeah. so. Um, watching anything, or are you just reading really serious books? I uh, had yeah, no time to watch anything other than just yeah, reading books and trying to work and be a father. Uh, okay, well, my, my serious book, um, I've never read 
Fathers and Sons by Turgenev. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to do that. Literature. What's that? Literature. Literature. Yeah. So that. I mean, every it's it's hard. Like you, you, I feel like we all force ourselves to like one once a year, once every couple of years, like read true literature. It's really hard, dude. But then you're thankful you did, dude. I'm a, you know. I mean, you're a philosophy major, philosophy so and like, literature. I get it, but I'm just saying, it's like I, I yeah, was both. I, but it's it's hard. Like literature is like it's a learned skill to read really powerful, well written, the ultimate classics, Dostoevsky and stuff like there. Yeah. <laughs> Crime and punishment. I remember it took like. Took me a year to get through that book, but okay. Well, I'll let you know how it goes with fathers and sons, and if it's great, I'm gonna send you a copy. But to to, to okay. wrap us here, I the last several days I slowly uh, worked my way through the 2003 classic film School of Rock with Jack Black mm, be- because it. It, you've never seen School of Rock. Dude, no, okay, never just it. do this for me, please. You and Elise should watch this. Just the next time you have 15 to 20 minutes to sit down and watch something, please start School of Rock. It is delightful. Okay. It is hilarious. Uh, there is no intellectual anything to come from it, but it is wonderful. And Jack Black is amazing. And I think was at the peak of his powers in, in, in that film. And um, absolutely fun. And it came on Netflix and it was just sitting there and it's like, okay, well, that's something I haven't seen in 20 years. And uh, it totally holds up and it's just a fun thing. And I I think you both will like it. And if I had to predict, I think Elise will definitely like it. You might be over reading Ministry of Defense or something, but like, yeah, check it out, folks. No, I mean, I'm a big Jack Black, big Jack Black fan. I loved like, uh tenacious d oh back in the day i thought it was hilarious <laughs> when i was like a teenager and yeah. if no jack black's real if good. you good good human seems yeah like too. yeah if if you are a tenacious d fan it is impossible that you won't like this film then so yeah everybody school of rock that's a very random way to end reviewing the news but there you go yeah <laughs> Uh, we actually did it. We, did. we reviewed the news and we're going to do it in like two more weeks live in front of a studio audience where I am going to win. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody, um, we'll see you at the Blister Summit. Get us your topics. This one's going to be a little tricky. Submit your topics soonish, I guess, because we, we don't want to get them on the spot. I think we do want to have some time to think through our answers. And it's absolutely a competition. And um I am not looking to lose. So, yeah. yeah. Um, should be fun, though. Um, and cool. it be fun to have you back in Crested Butte here in a little bit. And uh, you and Elise and a bunch of other fun folks. And we're going to ski some moguls and um, maybe ski some pow, Lord, too. Okay. So. <laughs> all right, dude. Glad we're back on track. And uh, good luck with all the stuff you've got on your plate. And uh, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. See you, Jonathan. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Cody, as always, for the conversation. And again, be sure to submit your topics or questions, your Mountain Town advice questions that you'd like us to address in our live taping of reviewing the news at our upcoming Blister Summit. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you all there, including the strikingly handsome Justin Bob. 
who I'd like to thank for producing this episode. And I sure hope J-Bob gets to go ski moguls with Cody because Cody talking about how snowboarders don't like moguls. Well, he has clearly not ridden with J-Bob yet. And if you haven't, this needs to be on your bucket list, but um, go shred some moguls with J-Bob. Anyway, finally, thanks to all of you. I appreciate so much your interest in what we're doing around here, your willingness to think through these topics and questions that we raise all the time in these Reviewing the News episodes. And yeah, we have a pretty cool community going in this place, and that is because of all of you. It means a lot to us. We appreciate you, and I hope we get to hang out with a bunch of you in just a couple weeks. All right, everybody, take good care.